to Democracy in Color, the voice of the New American Majority. I'm your host, Amy Allison. And today we're joined by a top organizer and democracy defender in the critical state of Georgia, just a few days before the very important midterm elections. Insay Ufot is executive director of the New Georgia Project, joining me to talk about voter suppression in the state, how you can help combat it, and its likely impact on the midterms. Insay, welcome to Democracy in Color. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Things are very active. We're just a few days out from the election, and the national press has been focused on Georgia and the voter suppression. What's going on on the ground there? We are 19 days away from a historic election, um, and all sides know it. Right. So you have an incredible amount of enthusiasm amongst young voters and African-American voters and women voters. Early voting has started. It started on Monday and there was a 181 percent bump over the turnout from 2014. That's incredible. Uh, but, uh, and conversely, you have people who are not excited about the enthusiasm around this election doing what they can to suppress turnout. So just as we've seen an increase in turnout and an increase in enthusiasm among voters, we've also seen an increase in voter suppression tactics from officials. Now, Facebook reminded me that four years ago yesterday, I was in the Georgia State House with your organization and Color of Change and Moral Mondays protesting the fact that Brian Kemp, the GOP gubernatorial candidate, was at that election refusing to add about 40,000 registrants to the voter rolls. So this ain't new. Not at all. It's the same old tired tricks from the same old tired uh, playbook. And while it has been effective in the past, I, I feel very strongly that this year will be different. How would you describe voter suppression uh, to an average person that doesn't follow this as closely? I would say that it's a combination of things, like anything that makes it more difficult for people to participate in our democracy, anything that makes it more difficult for people to vote in our um, election. Now, there was a time in Georgia's history, in America's history, where you were required to count the number of jelly beans in a jar or recite the preamble from the Constitution by heart. Today, it's much more sophisticated. Today, it looks like voter purges and exact match protocols where if your information doesn't 100% match what's in some database, then they kick you off of the rolls. And so it has a disproportionate impact on people of color and on women and people who change their names. Are, voting, so are voter purges like, actually happening in Georgia right now? They happen in odd years in Georgia. So 2018 would not be a year where they do purges. But in 2017, we saw that the Secretary of State in Georgia purged almost three-quarters of a million people from the voter roll. Uh, in 2015, uh, there was 250,000 people purged from the voter rolls. And who are these so, people? I mean, when you talk about voter, who's it impacting the most? African-Americans are eight times more likely to be purged from the rolls. AAPI Georgians and Latino Georgians are six times more likely to be purged from the voter rolls. Now, I read a couple of months back, maybe, a consultant that had worked with Brian Kemp as Secretary of State had recommended that one county close the majority of their polling places. Uh, there was a public outcry. The county officials ended up rejecting that proposal. 
Has that been happening in Georgia as well? Uh, well, that was in Georgia, and we led the fight against, so it was Randolph County in the heart of Georgia's Black Belt. They proposed to close 80% of the voting locations in the entire county. It would have absolutely had a negative impact on Black voters and would have depressed turnout. And surprisingly enough, we have not seen the sort of rash of poll closings across the state. I mean, at the simplest way I can put it is, like, they don't want the headaches. They don't want the problems, that it is not worth it to them. Like, we descended upon Randolph County and Southwest Georgia with the full weight of our ancestors, our coalition, our future. And so it was a communications effort. It was a field effort. It was we were preparing for litigation. Um, and I think the others saw what happened to their colleagues in Randolph County and did not want the same fate to visit them. You know, one of the things I keep hearing are additional examples in Georgia of what uh, voter suppression is looking like. Most recently, I read that this week, a busload of seniors who were there to vote early in person uh, were ordered off the bus. Can you tell us more about what happened there? Yeah, it's incredible. Uh, rural East Georgia, Jefferson County, you had a busload full of seniors, grandmothers and grandfathers, who were going to go vote um, and having a really good time. And an official from the senior home called um, a county elections official who then said that they were not allowed to take people to vote on a bus. There's no law to support that. There's no policy to support that. It's just an elected official who took it upon themselves to say, you guys can't do that, and ordered the seniors off of the bus. And people were very upset, but it's also rural Georgia. And so they complied and said that, you know, we want to live to fight another day. And then, you know, again, we immediately like started approaching the county officials and asking what was the deal, what's going on. And the response that we got back was that, well, one of the organizers of this party bus to the polls that they had arranged for the seniors was a known Democratic Party activist, and therefore it was part of an activity and the nursing home didn't support it. So what's the status with that case? Can county officials just make those determinations? No, they cannot make those determinations. Um, and what ended up happening was they ended up going to go vote anyway. The county official is not apologizing and saying essentially that he would have made the same call if there was a Republican Party official organizing the same thing for white seniors. Mm -hmm. I always um, want to say, who who is the person? Because we tell the story and there isn't a lot of transparency over those who call the shots on voting, the rules and enforcing access to the polls. What else can you tell us about anything about the history of, of this particular official and his actions and uh, what do you think should be done uh, to hold this person accountable? What we are finding is that, um, you know, 
Republicans and conservatives are looking at the same census data and looking at the same demographic data that we are looking at, right? And so while we are encouraged by what Georgia's future looks like, many of them are trying to figure out how to leverage their current positions and their current platforms to hold on to power. Right. And so we are seeing all kinds of ridiculous responses from, again, ordering 50 senior citizens off of the bus because a Democratic Party official was on the bus to, you know, closing down half of the polling locations in Macon, Georgia, the half being um, majority African-American precincts and precincts that had voted for Obama in 2008 and 2012. And when we asked why those particular precincts were being scheduled for closing, period, and why so many, they said that it was a cost-savings measure for the county. And when we followed up with how much money is the county saving by closing 19 polling locations and disenfranchising over half of Black voters, the amount was less than $5,000. I mean, this is so thoroughly undemocratic. And I can tell you from a perspective of someone who doesn't live in the state of Georgia and has uh, talks to a lot of people across the country, it's making our blood boil. And I mean, you're a lawyer, so you're used to the long fight. Right. (laughs) You're listening to Democracy in Color. We'll be back. Hi, I'm Amy Allison, host of the podcast Democracy in Color, the voice of the new American majority. Join our conversations with today's best and brightest political leaders, strategists, and thinkers. Our mission, to take our country back with the power of progressives of every race. And we invite you to join us. To learn more, visit democracyincolor.com or follow us on Twitter at Democracy Color. Another story I read about what's happening in Georgia is, and I think it's no secret that Stacey Abrams' campaign said they expected voter suppression tactics and they were ready. And part of being ready was encouraging their supporters to vote by mail. But I read that a significant number of those vote by mail ballots are being rejected by the Secretary of State's office. Uh, The same Brian Kemp who's running against Stacey Abrams. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah. So when you vote by mail, you sign your ballot. And the way that they verify your identity is it's the signature that you sign on your ballot matches the signature that they have on file from when you registered to vote or when you um, you know, became a Georgia driver and got, or got a Georgia ID. And the problem is that about 10 percent of the absentee ballots that have been submitted in the second largest county in the state, Gwinnett County, have been rejected because the quote-unquote signatures don't match. On the one hand, the good thing is that people whose absentee ballots are rejected because the quote-unquote signatures don't match can still go and vote. They have to go in person, but they're still allowed to early vote or vote on election day. The bad news is that this is yet another sort of way to shrink the electorate and to peel off votes. 
right? And that given that all of the polling indicates that Stacey Abrams and Brian Kemp are neck and neck, you know, a couple hundred votes, a couple of thousand votes in a couple of strategically placed counties around the state could make the difference. Uh, you were just on Chris Hayes um, on MSNBC. What's the line of questions that uh, people in the mainstream media are asking about what's going on in Georgia? I was happy that I got a chance to tell our story. So I'm very clear that for a show like Chris Hayes and the national news media, it's about the spectacle, right? Like they want to tell the stories, the sort of the the, the sizzle, the really sexy stories about what's happening on the ground, if it's really awesome or if it's really, really terrible. So my job, I saw my job as sort of making sure that I wasn't boring, that making sure that their needs were met, right, to tell the sexy story to their viewers, but also to make sure people know what the New Georgia Project is doing and what groups on the ground are doing um, to protect the right to vote. But, and, and, and then I think the last thing that I wanted to let people know is that like, we're not going to wake up tomorrow and Trump's going to be on TV and be like, hey, everybody, you live in a dictatorship now. Thanks. Bye. Elections don't matter anymore. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> like it's not, it's not it's not going to be that sudden um, and it's not going to be that obvious and that it's our responsibility every time we see oppression, every time we see attempts at voter suppression, every time we see attempts to shred our democracy, that we say something, that we are outraged and that we organize against it, right? Because it's these small attacks that add up collectively over time and then we wake up one day and we are, you know, under the thumb of an authoritarian regime. I mean, you're right? you sounding so, like a patriot, Insay. You sound like a patriot. <laughs> I'm, I'm such a patriot that I'm annoying to my friends. I love <laughs> this country so much. It's ridiculous. And my, a part of it is because I became a U.S. citizen when I was in high school. And so, you know, my mom worked a second job so she could put her pennies together to hire an immigration lawyer. Um, and I was responsible for making sure that we passed the citizenship exam. Right. And so I learned about the country. I mean, yes, obviously through school, but, you know, having to take the oath. Right. And pledging my allegiance to the country like I take that very seriously. And because I take it so seriously, I get offended when I see attacks on voting rights, when I see attacks on citizens, uh, on um, civil rights uh, and just attacks on our democracy, period. Well, look because at. Yeah, I don't believe that's who we are. Yes. I was reading what was happening in North Dakota, where election mm. of officials in that state determined, hey, you can't vote if you have a P.O. box. And yet the native voters have P.O. boxes, a lot of them on, on the reservations. You know, absolutely. I mean, thinking about that, what's your take on some of the voter suppression tactics on places like North Dakota? A huge shout out to like our brothers and sisters in North Dakota who've been fighting this good fight. We are supposed to make laws and make policies for the people that we are now. And so the idea that you know that um, street numbers and street names are not common on the reservations. And so attempting to exclude people without street numbers and street names is voter suppression, and it was called out immediately. So shout out to them. But it's ridiculous. It is yet another attempt to shrink the electorate and put their thumb on 
the scale, right? There's a contested Senate race that's going to happen uh, in North Dakota. And again, if you have to cheat uh, in order to win, um, you there's something wrong with you and your platform. And I think that they need to acknowledge that. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, we're hearing. Yeah, but we're hearing, and I heard it in my own conversations, media conversations. The GOP says, hey, we have to make sure there's no voter fraud, you know, and they, they talk about fraud. I mean, and they do talk about fraud, but what we know and what the data supports is that voter fraud is not a real thing. It's not a thing. Right? It doesn't, it's not a thing. It's not a thing. It's not a thing. You know what is a thing, though? Voter suppression. Okay. <laughs> so what do you, what do you tell people who are furious about what's going on? and want to help? I I say tap into that, right? And use that to fuel you. I say that there are something that each of us can do, right? In the the Black church, they say uh, your time, your talent, or your treasure. Uh, And the idea is give what you can, right? And so for people who are super busy, and you can write checks. Right. For people who don't have disposable income or don't have extra income or don't have just the space in their budget to contribute. But you are a graphic designer and you're particularly skilled, like help some of your favorite community organizations step up their visual media game. Right. For people who you're retired or you just have some flexibility and you have a week to give or you have a full day to give or a weekend to give, come down, phone bank, send text messages, send postcards to voters, come canvas with us and knock on doors. Like literally there is something for each of us to do. And again, your time, your talent and your treasure, give what you can. If for you know, as you were talking, I was thinking, you know, the country's waking up to the work that you've been doing for years at the New Georgia Project. But you mentioned that there are even more organizations on the ground in Georgia. You know, shout a couple out. I mean, the ones that we don't know outside of Georgia. Absolutely. Uh, Some of our closest partners and allies in Georgia are the Georgia Coalition for the People's Agenda. There's also sort of our legacy civil rights organizations. It's an honor to do this work in Georgia because the NAACP, the SCLC, SNCC, and several legacy civil rights organizations are still around. Like, um, we joke that, you know, you can't go anywhere in Atlanta without running into someone who says they marched with King. Um, <laughs> Everyone marched with King. <laughs> Everyone marched with King. Right. And, but the truth is, like, you know, there are some people who are out still doing this work who have the receipts. And so, you know, it's a gift and a curse to be able to do this work sort of in the shadows of such, you know, our civil rights veterans, our civil rights heroes. How are you feeling? I mean, you t- look, when I listen to your voice, we're uh, this is the most important election of our lifetimes. And mm-hmm. there's so much at stake with the results of the elections in Georgia and all these other places that uh, there's open voter suppression tactics being implemented mm-hmm. to try to keep turnout low. And I just you know, how are you feeling about everything? Um, I'm, I'm feeling encouraged. I mean, the truth of the matter is they're fighting us so hard because we're winning, right? <laughs> I mean, that's just what it is. And, and I'm super clear about that, that the attacks 
are proportionate to the impact that we're having, and they are afraid. And, you know, uh, in the South, they say, if you're scared, say you're scared. Uh, and, and, and they aren't saying that they are afraid, but everything that they're doing indicates to us that they're afraid. I mean, and here's the thing. I have a lot of love in my life. And so, you know, it helps to even things out. I'm good. I, I am ready for this fight. Um, I clear eyed. I know the moment that we're in. And so I just, you know, I try to stay hydrated. I'm trying to get, <laughs> just drink your water. <laughs> but you sound so joyful. Yeah, you sound joyful. <laughs> um, because I know I, I was. Someone was talking to someone the other day about the work of organizing, and ultimately, it's science fiction, right? And as a like secret uh, nerd, sci-fi nerd, like the idea that we're creating a world that only exists in our minds mm. uh, right now today, right? And so there's an entire galaxy uh, and entire communities where people have enough, more than enough to live and survive and everyone has health care and, you know, your life expectancy isn't dependent on your zip code uh, and we have clean air and clean water and our planet, <laughs> we aren't under um, an existential threat. And I'm committed to thinking through, imagining, and then going out and building this world that I want to live in and that I want my future like children and nieces and nephews to live in. It's a powerful vision. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. It it's hopeful. It's, it, it, that, yeah. That's how I keep myself from crying into my pillow <laughs> and like or raging out and hulking out on conservatives. Or drinking wine every <laughs> night, which is my favorite uh, <laughs> thing to wait, do when wait, I can't deal my, with it. Is, Wait, is that a bad thing? Though? Yeah, I'm saying. I'm saying. <laughs> Wait. But when you but when you're really doing the science fiction, uh, this political jujitsu yeah. to say, yeah. uh, you know, in this science fiction world or envisioning, what systemic changes would you make that would have the most impact on not just reducing voter suppression but encouraging the full span of the electorate to actually vote. I mean, 90 million people didn't vote last election. That's right. so many people. How do we reimagine this, not just to limit the conversation about voter suppression, but to say, how do we expand democracy? You know, automatic voter registration. You've reached the age of majority. You reach the voting age. You become a voter. Like, it's just done. You know, there I know are countries like Australia and others that experiment with compulsory voting, mandatory voting. I would like to see probably voting happen over more than one day um, to create some opportunities for people, for working people, um, or, or weekend voting, right, uh, which happens in many European countries and, and several African nations as well. I, you know, listen, if the NASA astronauts can vote by, by email. I think that it's worth. <laughs> I think that it's worth considering. When I learned that NASA astronauts voted by email, I was upset. Like joyous, but like really. And they've been doing it for years. <laughs> well, if they can vote from space, then Leroy right. Brown should be able to vote from his, you know, his house, Thank his neighborhood. You. Thank you. Come on, somebody. Oh yeah. Well, I think. As we move into the election, uh, the last words for people who are really hell-bent on defending our rights, our voting rights, what would you like to leave them with? 
um, that, uh, you know, uh, hmm. <laughs> that's a big question. I was like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> hmm. I'll say this. It is absolutely important that we meet people where they are and that we approach folks from uh, without judgment and that, you know, it is our responsibility as folks who do this work and are concerned with the outcomes to help people connect the dots for themselves, right? So if a person tells you that they think that their vote doesn't matter, you should listen more than you talk so that you can understand what their priorities are, what their lived experience is. And it, just because you do know better or you think you know better doesn't mean that your wisdom will be received in that moment. And so listening and helping people connect the dots for themselves, I think, is the priority and not just being right and yelling at people or dismissing young people or dismissing poor people for not um, participating at rates that you you deem acceptable. So be patient with yourselves and be patient with each other. That's, yeah. That's my advice. Be patient with ourselves and with each other and say, Ufad, you are one of America's heroes. I want to thank you so much <laughs> for joining us in Democracy thank in you. Color. Thank you for having me. And you're amazing, Amy. Thank you so much for everything that you do. Thank you. Thank you. This episode of Democracy in Color was produced by Lantigua Williams & Co. Our producer is Annie Wynn, with additional production support by LaVon Briggs. Our editor is Chiquita Pascal. Special thanks to Tim Molina, political director of Courage Campaign. If you appreciate this podcast as much as we appreciate you, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and rate us on iTunes. You can learn more about us at democracyandcolor.com. We're also on Facebook and Twitter. So tell a friend, a colleague, or a neighbor to tune in for their dose of political intelligence. And until next time, thanks for joining us.